Hello, and welcome back to Crypto Sapiens. I'm your host, Humpty Calderon. And today, I am very excited to be talking to Lucas from SAFE, or as it was better known, Gnosis SAFE. Lucas started with SAFE as his product manager, and as the project grew, became its co-founder. This conversation, in my opinion, is very timely because as the state of crypto shows, we need to take ownership over our digital assets and our wallets. And SAFE helps you to do that. We explore SAFE from an organizational perspective as DAOs using it to manage funds. But we also ask the question about how can retail use this? We ask, how can families collect art, manage funds, share ownership of digital assets? In my opinion, that is what's most exciting about SAFE and tools like it, is that it makes crypto more accessible and usable for everyone. So without further ado, let's get started. Sure, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Lucas, I'm co-founder of SAFE, uh, formerly known as Gnosis SAFE. We just did a, a spin-off from Gnosis and a, a rebranding. Hasn't reached a- anyone yet, but uh, we're slowly get, getting there. Uh, maybe a little bit of my story, how I got to where I am now and uh, how I got into crypto. Uh, the first touch point I had with crypto was in 2016 uh, when I saw a video of uh, Vitalik Buterin at DEFCON 1 uh, sharing his thoughts on on Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum and how Bitcoin is this like static calculator and uh, Ethereum is this uh, Swiss army knife that has many purposes and this uh, use case agnostic and uh, programmable and all these things. And I found it interesting, but uh, at first, uh, first I thought, yeah, what is this nerd talking about? I have no idea. It was very technical. I come from a business background, so I didn't quite get it at that point. And I just forgot about this entire blockchain topic for a while. Uh, I was in uh, various product and event management roles in uh, general tech and, and Web2 back then. Uh, and I just, through participating in various tech events, then in 2017, when the uh, ICO, ICO times uh, started to hit, I got in touch with many more people working in, in crypto and blockchain. And what struck me back then is that there's so many very smart people that are super passionate about this technology, even though I still didn't get what's going on. Uh, but these people seemed very passionate about it. And then you had this element of a lot of capital suddenly going into this market. Uh, and for me, it was always this strong belief, if you have smart people that are passionate about something and you give them capital to actually execute on their passion, that usually something good is, is coming out of that. Um, mm-hmm. It's not always clear what exactly, but uh, something is coming out. Uh, so I wanted to be closer to this ecosystem. Uh, I joined, uh, uh, it was uh, investment advisor group, uh, the Argon group. Uh, what they did is they worked together with projects and structured their token sales uh, in a way that's regulatory compliant. And I joined as an internal researcher. Uh, so the people that were working at this company, they had challenges themselves keeping up with all the things that was being built at that point. And then they needed someone that's just uh, researching full-time and educating them about what's going on. And then I really learned uh, the the technical aspects of it. So not just the, 
investment aspects and I got in touch with prediction markets, with decentralized exchanges, with stable coins and all these crazy ideas that were there, uh, not yet implemented, but as as form of, of white papers. And I thought I need to be part of, of the builder side, not just part of the researcher side. So I stumbled upon the name Gnosis a couple of times during my research. It was a, like a, a project that's has many people in, in Germany, and I was based in Berlin back then, so I wanted to join that team. I applied and uh, got rejected. Uh, so that was my... Uh, yeah, I was a bit disappointed, but I kept going, and I just applied the next position that came up, which was a product manager position. And there I actually was lucky. I joined the team, and I was then responsible for one of the product, products that Gnosis was building back then, the, the Gnosis Multisig, now called Gnosis Safe. And I just took over the product responsibility there and over time just took on more responsibility until the point where uh, Gnosis had this strategic decision to uh, yeah, learn or have decide where they want to double down on. And they decided to double down on the Gnosis chain, one of their projects, and they spun off uh, two of the other projects, including the, the one I was involved in. And so I took over the, the, the founder role of this spin-off uh, together with three of my colleagues. Uh, and that's, yeah, where I am now. Amazing. Ah, I love that. That's such a wonderful story. I loved, first of all, uh, I want to rewind a little bit. You talked about being from a tech, uh, business background and just not understanding the technical aspect of it, but being curious, right? You were curious about it. And when you got rejected the first time, uh, you just found another way to kind of make your way into a project that you really uh, were interested in and cared about. Um, but I really like this idea too of you kind of uh, building up this this project, this initiative within or product within this, uh, you know, kind of project like Gnosis, and then ending where you are, or not ending, but continuing where you are today, right? In terms of being one of the co-founders of this project, and really just having the freedom to continue to develop this uh, wonderful tool, right? Which we'll get into, because I think there's tons here uh, to explore about safe the product. And who best, best to talk about that than you, right? Um, so maybe before we just kick into that conversation, though, we, there's something here that I'd like to discuss. And you talked about this. And that was um, kind of maybe the accessibility of, of some of the things as you were coming in, just maybe conversations that you uh, were listening to. Maybe this Vitalik talk at DevCon 1, uh, where it sounded great, but maybe just very technical uh, maybe looking also at, uh, you know, coming in and contributing to a project like uh, Gnosis and maybe some of it being inaccessible. So coming at it from a product side, what, what are, what are from your perspective and maybe the work that you've been doing at Gnosis Safe and now SafeDAO, uh, what are some of your thoughts in terms of the accessibility of the space? Like, what do you think are some of the clear challenges for someone that may come in and, you know, how do you suppose uh, a product like Gnosis Safe uh, can can help with that? Yeah, and I think that's pretty much the same trajectory as any technology, where it starts off being 
extremely hard to use. It's very technical. It's it's expensive. If you look at the early days of, of the computer era, uh, no one could afford it. No one could actually use it. And it's just natural that it starts this way, uh, that usually the engineers and developers are the first users uh, because they're the, the closest to what's being built. And then over time, we just figure out UX patterns, we figure out ways to make this technology more accessible. And that's where the, the magic in technology happens. That's when mm-hmm. suddenly it unleashes its potential. And it's just not, not just a niche thing, but it actually provides a lot of value to many, uh, many people. And that's what always excites me about technology. And that's why I also, uh, from a business background, looked how I could get as close as possible to, to technology. And that's sort of product management. Uh, where you can help make this technology more accessible, more usable. And that's also what excites me most about SAFE and the work that we're doing, because one of the like many challenges that we have right now is that we want to have people to actually be owners of, of the assets. The, they should be owners of, uh, of digital art. They should be owners of, of tokens, of, of voting rights and so on, and, ha- and have these... In, in a self-custodial way, so it's not dependent on a third party. Uh, but at the same time, we give so much responsibility also to the to the user itself. So suddenly we need to educate people that they need to write down this 12-word seed phrase and store it securely and uh, like best not to write it into your notes app on, uh, on your iPhone because that's pretty much the worst thing you can do. And th- that's... It works, kind of, but it's definitely not the end stage where we should be. And uh, SAFE has the, the potential there to solve many of these challenges, uh, to reduce the, the risks of this, this one private key, the seed phrase, which is really a big risk. Like either, like it's, it's cool that as long as you have this private key, which acts as a, as a master, master key to all your assets, as you have full control over your account, uh, so you can do whatever you please without asking for permission. But as soon as you lose access to this key, uh, you're, I know, you don't, don't have access to your password manager anymore or uh, you forget where you stored or wrote down your seed phrase, uh, then you're completely locked out. And that's, that's like a terrible situation. Like you, you can lose all your net worth. You can use all your uh, precious collectibles in, in one second. Um, and on the other side, it's also very easy for others uh, to get access to your account because they just really need to have access to this one private key. So it's uh, it's this all or nothing kind of thing. Uh, and SAFE enables to have much more secure ways to to have full control over your assets without giving up or, or having to trust into another entity to do so. Yeah, that's a good point. So... You're, you, you've introduced a few ideas here. One, obviously, is the accessibility of it, having to remember uh, your private keys, having to be able to store those, uh, probably even better uh, framed, in a way that's secure, right? Uh, risking it all if any of that gets, um, you know, accidentally, uh, you know, revealed. And um, also, you know, I think there's something here to be said about, like, things like social uh, recoveries or social interactions with, you know, uh, assets. And, you know, so we've kind of framed then the difference between like private accounts or, you know, these, these, um, you know, private key wallets versus like smart contract accounts. 
Describe to me maybe a couple of scenarios. Obviously, DAOs are a good example of uh, organizations that are using smart contract accounts, right? But what are some of the other things that you've seen that or other groups of people that could benefit from something like a smart contract account? I have a couple of ideas, but I'm uh, uh, that's why I'm asking the question. But I'd love to hear from you as someone who's so deeply involved with the product. Maybe there mm-hmm. was some exercises to identify really how uh, Gnosis Safe is making this space a lot more accessible. Maybe to take a step back a little bit, how smart contract accounts like Safe work, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to to private key accounts, which it, it's really this uh, this very dumb logic, so to say, that when you have access to the private key, you can do everything. And if you don't have access to the private key, you can do nothing. As opposed to that, a smart contract account really defines the logic, how it's being controlled, what it can do, and so on, uh, as part of a smart contract. And we we know that smart contract, it's you can pretty much program anything you want as part of a smart contract, which allows you to do cool stuff like saying, I have an account and it's not just controlled by one private key. It's maybe multiple private keys. Uh, that's maybe I have a key that I store on a, on a ledger hardware wallet. I have a key that I have in my MetaMask account. Uh, I have a key that I've written down in some Swiss bank account somewhere. Uh, and then I can even say uh, how many of these keys I really need to to control the account. So maybe I have three keys and two of them I always need to to make a transaction with the account. Uh, and so I'm reducing the risk on this single point of failure. And mm-hmm. probably the most prominent uh, use case for this is if you have multiple people involved coordinating uh, around assets uh, collectively. Because then you really can't use a single private key. Because with a single private key, if a transaction is made, you, you don't know if, if five people had access to this private key, who this person was that made the transaction. So you need some, uh, some way to distribute the, the ownership there in a way that's transparent. Uh, and uh, yeah. And what, what can be done then with smart contract accounts is that you define your group of people that have access together to this account and you can implement this logic there in a smart contract. And uh, so the cool thing, and that's actually where uh, like the trajectory of, of most projects is that they start off with uh, a group of, of people that, that found a new DeFi protocol, for example. They manage a uh, treasury together, uh, but then at some point they turn themselves into a full-fledged DAO and they want to have a, a community of people. So many hundreds or thousands of people control an account together and not have just three, four co-founders do so. And because smart contract accounts are programmable, they're also reprogrammable. So you can say now it's not these four people, but it's actually this collective of, of a thousand token holders that can vote on transactions. And if it reaches a certain quorum, then the transaction is, is executed on this on this account. Um, that's uh, where a big chunk of the usage currently is coming from. I'm not sure this is necessarily where the, the biggest share is coming from in the future because it this... Uh, smart contract accounts is, is probably also uh, or will be very useful for, for retail users, which just manage assets themselves without someone else involved, uh, where they can have uh, more security, but also more fallback. So in case they even lose access to their private keys, they could have 
a program running in their account or like a, a smart contract extension uh, that would say uh, they have a, a recovery mechanism implemented, like they could uh, go to like a trusted party, like a bank, or they have maybe a group of people that they have defined before that that act as recoverer. They can usually not make any transactions on the account, but they have some system where they can be involved in order to regain access to the account. And that's something where this this issue for, for retail users that they depend on uh, on themselves uh, to, to store assets can be solved to some extent, where they can involve or distribute also responsibility to trusted parties, friends, family, maybe uh, financial institutions, whatever they want. And that gives much more uh, flexibility and uh, ownership to, to users. You're talking about a future that I have envisioned for myself and my family. So that's kind of the direction that I wanted to lead the conversation, or at least that question. Um, you know, we're heading into the holidays and there's everybody's meeting either for like, at least here in the U.S., for Thanksgiving or Christmas and conversations come up. What are you doing? What are you working on? And I like the idea of take extending kind of this conversation of like, what am I working on and how can we work together? And I can start imagining a bunch of like family DAOs popping up, right, where there's like this shared pool of assets. It doesn't have to be like, you know, I have a quarter of a million dollars of assets in this account, but it's just mm. something as a fun exercise to introduce people like in terms of like shared mm. ownership, right? Because to your point, when we talk about a lot of what we're working on in the space, it just seems so far out for most people. It's like something that maybe we don't necessarily register as possible. But when you think about like this shared ownership where your family can all hold different keys to different wall, uh, to different accounts, smart contract accounts that then allow us to pool some funds to be able to collect some art, for instance, or to be able to just hold some assets that are meaningful to us, right? Like I, we as a family have a pooled ETH, you know, smart contract account, for instance, right? And then just talking about it in ways that makes this a lot more familiar to them and then bridging that conversation to, oh yeah, and by the way, I'm a member of like of 100 DAOs and this is what we do, <laughs> you know? We all have these shared accounts. Uh, yeah, so I, I, that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, and one of the reasons why I'm personally excited about SAFE is because it really, it does several things. One of these, obviously, it makes conversations about crypto uh, currencies and uh, holding digital assets um, a little bit more familiar, a little bit more safe, right? Um, but it also kind of bridges the conversations between that familiarity and a lot more complex structures like DAOs. So maybe let's dive into DAOs a little bit as organizations. Uh, there's this idea that most DAOs are really these uh, groups that have come together around these shared missions and shared treasuries. That shared treasury is, is, is a lot of them um, possible because of SAFE, right? So maybe as someone who's been there from, you know, at least quite some time now leading up to where we are today, you can describe how DAOs change the landscape over at SAFE. Yeah, I mean, it it really started that uh, Gnosis had to uh, to custody their own funds back in 2017, and we we built actually safe or back then Gnosis Multisig as an internal tool uh, to do so. So we didn't want to rely on any external parties, a bank account or something to manage our treasury. And then over time, uh, Gnosis developed itself into Gnosis DAO, uh, which is uh, like 
collective of, of GNO holders, Gnosis token holders, and also the, the treasury obviously had to be uh, decentralized in that way and also should be controlled through, through the, the GNO holders. And that's, that's where we ourselves also uh, developed or we, we saw the need of, of the safe not just being used by, by just centralized teams, but, but DAOs or bigger groups. And uh, a lot of other teams followed suit. And we have this emergence of, uh, of DAOs coming up and, and controlling assets together. And I think that's also the, the beauty uh, or, or something also that didn't exist actually before Web3 or before uh, smart contract accounts at all, that people can have shared ownership like uh, the same way I could maybe in in Web two or in, in in real life own something by myself by just having physical access to it. Uh, it was not possible to have joint ownership without having some someone in between. Uh, like there are joint bank accounts, but there's always this bank in between that regulates uh, that that sets up the permissions and so and so on. And we have suddenly uh, this ability to have a trustless way to hold assets together. Uh, and that's why it was suddenly so easy for people to just come together, people that might not even know each other uh, around a, sh a shared mission, a shared idea, and just pool together assets because they had this certainty that uh, they can control the assets together uh, and they don't need to uh, like have any legal contract that assigns them a share of this shared treasury because it's all enforceable on-chain. Uh, and I think that's a big part why DAOs uh, have exploded so much. Uh, because it was just for the first time, uh, from a technology perspective, possible to have this uh, very quick, cheap way to uh, to coordinate assets together. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So it's certainly, I think for those of us who are in the space uh, of DAOs, right? So are involved in DAOs, we realize the value and the importance of it. Uh, good to see, kind of some of the ways that. Uh, Gnosis itself kind of dog-fooded, right? I think that's the right, the right term, uh, their own product. What I've realized too, by the way, as you were telling that story, it just reminded me that a lot of the best products are born from needs internally. Like one of the examples that comes to mind, Web2 is Slack, right? Probably one of the best-known examples of a product that was born uh, that wasn't a product mm -hmm. intended to be a pub for public consumption or use, but one that's certainly... Uh, gotten a lot of adoption. I think it's uh, it's interesting to also see like that Gnosis Safe was a product that was developed internally to support its needs. Um, and of course, now becoming an invaluable tool and seeing it grow uh, the way that it has. I like this idea too that you framed uh, in terms of permissioned uh, banking, right? In terms of being able to do so now in ways that are a lot more sensible to us, right? They make sense to what we're building in this space. What are some of the things that you think uh, will continue to allow for a product like Safe to evolve as the DAO ecosystem continues to grow, or as some of these new use cases, as you said, continue to evolve? Mm. And I think that's a very critical part of, of our strategy that we realize smart contract accounts provide many benefits for uh like vastly different user groups and use cases uh, from DAOs to like family accounts to retail accounts to 
institutional systems, ways to control uh, other smart contracts. And like there's just tons and tons of, of use cases which benefit from the, the security and usability benefits of smart contract accounts. And we, we're not going to be able to build them all by, our, by ourselves. Like this is uh, impossible to build up like these dozens, hundreds of different products that are optimized for these user groups and use cases. Uh, so we did a, a bigger a strategic change recently that we said we had this flagship product out there that proved the use case of smart contract accounts. It it drove value to to the protocol. There's now forty billion dollars worth of assets, uh, like ten percent of all board apes, and like uh, it's already got significant traction. Uh, but to really grasp all these or to to yeah get these other use cases covered, uh, we need others to jump in and build these these products for them. These these solutions. Uh, so we're shifting mo now more from being a product-focused project to being an ecosystem project uh, where we want to foster different teams that have ideas, what to build on, on SAFE, what to build on smart contract accounts, uh, extend what's already out there. Like It's a composable system where people can come in and just add functionality and uh, add other smart contract components and so on uh, to really help them achieve that and to grow a system that's also independent of one single entity. Uh, so even today, if you have a safe, your account, you can go to, I think it's now 25 different front ends. Uh, so wallet solutions and uh, treasury management solutions and, and use your account that way. There's no need to use the, the UI, the interface that we provide. Uh, and this then makes safe uh, a portable account that it can use with, with their very different products and that's that's also something that's only possible in web3 like you cannot imagine it easily be possible that you take your bank account from this one bank and take it to the other it's it's they, they want to make it as hard as possible they want to lock you into their systems uh, it's it's hard to get your facebook account into twitter and so on but with with web3 you have these portable accounts and when we grow this ecosystem of products that built on this uh yeah on these smart contract accounts then you have this you retain this portability property. Uh, and so we also shifted towards becoming a DAO ourselves for, for the SAFE project, which takes over the coordination between the different ecosystem uh, parties, so the, the people contributing to the protocol level, people contributing to infrastructure or to the uh, front ends of the products, and make sure that we have uh, proper standards, proper interfaces between them, uh, have kind of a, a joint vision of where SAFE is, is going uh, and also involve uh, both the, the builders but also the users of SAFE and have also the voices heard in this, in this ecosystem that we're building. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I like the, uh, this idea of composability. Obviously, that's a huge unlock of Web3. Uh, and I like that SAFE is kind of seeing that uh, or, or, or kind of considering that as it continues to develop. And, and really this ability to allow for anyone to kind of build on, the, on, on SAFE, right? And to integrate it, uh, to add this flexibility. Uh, I guess one of the things that we haven't talked about yet, and we should, is SafeDAO, right? So before this call, I also shared some of my thoughts in terms of some really interesting possibilities for the DAOs that have been using uh, Gnosis Safe for some time. So introduce this idea, and I think you already briefly did, the transition from, you know, Gnosis Safe to SafeDAO 
and kind of some of the expectations uh, for doing that and some of the opportunities that have uh, you know opened up uh, since then. So SafeDAO is, is really a way for us to make sure that uh, the protocol stays credibly neutral in, in the future and that it really takes into account different opinions and interests from its builders, but also its, its users. And what's interesting here is that a lot of the users of SAFE are DAOs themselves. Uh, so we did uh, a token distribution and uh, as many do, this is going to, to users as well as like critical stakeholders of, of the protocol. And it, then it happens that a lot of these users are, are DAOs themselves and they suddenly got this, this airdrop of, of safe tokens, which is really uh, voting power in, in the safe DAO, in the governance process. And now we have like dozens, hundreds of DAOs that got voting power. And all these DAOs are themselves being uh, communities that are behind it. Uh, so we have kind of a, we're almost becoming like a, a, a meta DAO here, which also tries to uh, juggle the different interests of the, the DAOs as users. Uh, so they, yeah, it's really at the beginning stages. We did the token distribution a month ago, and it's quite early on, but it's going to be very interesting to see also how DAOs as, as users will voice their opinions in, in the future of, of SafeDAO. Yeah, that's very interesting. This idea of not just individuals, but organizations having voting power. And that's a lot of responsibility, right? I'm, I'm a member of a few DAOs who have this governance power and the conversations that are happening internally about delegation. Like, do we delegate to existing stewards, right, in, in the safe DAO ecosystem? Or do we elect some of our own, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, members? to become these stewards uh, because there is just that much, uh, you know, safe tokens that are at our disposal so that we can have, um, you know, some, I guess, valuable uh, influence in the way that the DAO operates in the future. Um, so just generally, I think that that's very interesting. Uh, this whole idea of organizational governance or, or DAO to DAO governance um, in terms of like, Safe DAO. What are some of the conversations, maybe that have happened or that uh, have been inspired since uh, you know the launch of the token, and since DAOs have begun to participate as uh, stewards themselves of uh, Safe DAO? So maybe first uh, a little bit an interesting tidbit there on how we selected the the stewards uh, for Safe DAO. Uh, so what we want to prevent is that the delegates, so the people that are recommended during the claiming process as being representatives of their opinion, <clears throat> to be uh, people that just have a big following and that leverage their following to get a lot of voting power. Uh, we didn't want this to be become a Twitter popularity contest where the people that have the, the most followers on Twitter get and the, the biggest say in safe now. Uh, so these people that were... Uh, we call them safe guardians, like the people you can delegate to. Uh, these are all people that have provable record of contributions to SAFE in the past. And because SAFE has been developed over uh, four years, there's like, a, like there was 200 people. That, there were initially 1,000 people applying. And then we had a council that selected the 200 that really have a provable record and not just uh, 
made up some things <laughs> in retrospect, uh, but 200 people and entities that have some record of contributions. And these were then suggested as, as delegates. So that's just something where we also expect a little bit of a different dynamic from other DAOs, uh, where maybe it was more about the already existing followership that they have. Um, although, <laughs> yeah. Now I forgot actually the initial question, so I need to repeat that. Oh, no, that's fine. My question was, <laughs> were there some interesting conversations that were inspired from DAO-to-DAO oh. governance? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we are quite early, uh, a month after uh, kicking off the, the governance process. So we had uh, now a couple of, of discussions, one being around the uh, participation in SafeDAO and what this actually means. Uh, and so there we had... Uh, we actually took a very interesting approach that we want to make clarity or give clarity to DAO participant on a legal perspective, what it means to be participating in a DAO, also to uh, limit liability for the participants, because just keeping it in, in the vacuum is, is a risk, uh, because you never know what different jurisdictions uh, define as who is participating in DAO, what's the responsibility, and we want to have a, a clear document that's also agreed upon by the DAO uh, regulating these things. So that's actually today was the day where this proposal went through the process, so it's now uh, signed off by, by the DAO. Uh, beyond that, there's a couple of other discussions that are a little bit earlier in the process, uh, one being the operating model of the DAO. Uh, so we also see some DAOs that uh, where it's not really clear how funds are being used and what's the, the structure between uh, a treasury, how it's, it's being used, uh, end up being susceptible to people just trying to get as much value out of the treasury for themselves as, as possible. Um, and just proposals like grants, proposals, et cetera, et cetera uh, not really uh, yeah, kind of aligned with an overall uh, mission for the DAO and uh, strategic objectives, uh, but just going in all different kind of directions. So we want to have an operating model uh, that was uh, proposed by by Peter Pan from from OneKX uh, that uh, de defines the the mission, the strategy, and the uh, initiatives and how this process works, how the, the initiatives are selected and funded by the DAO. Uh, the, still not completely finalized, but this is. A uh, very interesting proposal to follow. Uh, and another one that's currently brewing up is around uh, co constitution for the DAO. Uh, that's the part where it's important for a DAO to have a North Star, uh, to know exactly what's the, the ideas that people come together. Uh, and there we want to have uh, a document which is also modifiable, even though maybe with a higher threshold, similar to you have a constitution for nation states, which can be often uh, updated over time, but it's just very uh, difficult and requires a big quorum or like a big majority of people agreeing to it. And this really setting the North Star for, for SafeDAO and defining what's really the reasons we come together and we coordinate together. And there's, I would also expect this to be more mature in the next weeks. Uh, for now, it's it's just discussions in, in the forum. And uh, yeah, then we have also uh, discussions that go around the, the token and how the token is being used. We did also take an interesting approach during the token launch that we said that it's a non-transferable token to start with. 
we did this very very intentionally. We didn't want to take this decision of uh, making a token transferable or not. This is really something where we believe this needs to come from the community because there's reasons to not do it. There's reasons to do it. Um, and we didn't want to just take this decision from the community because it's a one-way road. And if we would make a token transferable, it's it's impossible to take this back. And there's now very, very controversial discussions in the forum. And I expect this also to be a proposal that's going through the governance process uh, quite soonish. And I think it will be very controversial to the end. And I'm not yet sure in what direction it will go. Uh, so uh, quite excited to see that play out. Uh, but yeah, that's... Maybe also something that in the future audit DAOs will might copy because it really adds a lot of value to get the community's voices involved in important decisions like that. Yeah, you know, I think it's really wonderful to hear about like the different conversations that are happening right now and the thoughtfulness behind uh, governance uh, over at SafeDAO. It's also interesting to your point that you just made right now, the strategy that you took or the direction you took in terms of the token distribution. Uh, tell me a little bit about that uh, mentality, right? Uh, to make a governance token non-transferable. What kind of led to that? Like, what was the, the decision to say, you know what, in terms of governance rights, we want to make sure that the people that we're incentivizing to participate in governance aren't, you know, using this as some sort of like market you know, to freely go out and just make money off of this, but instead to hopefully incentivize them even further to participate in our ecosystem's governance. Can you maybe dive a little bit more into that uh, as, you know, briefly or as deeply as you want to go? Yeah, and we put a lot of thought into how the initial distribution of the token should look like and what stakeholders we want to get involved and to, to what extent. And we even had the community already uh, participate in that before we did the distribution. Uh, so we didn't just decide this in, in our silo and then went with it. We had this published openly and we implemented feedback uh, there. And we think we have uh, an interesting distribution to, in terms of voting rights in the SafeDAO to start with, to really have different voices uh, from uh, DAOs using it, from uh, DeFi projects using it, from uh, builders on, on, on Safe, which uh, got a completely separate airdrop, so independent from the, the user airdrop. We also had this ecosystem airdrop where uh, like people building on Safe also got voting rights. And just overall, we think we have a very interesting mix of people and a, a like relatively fair distribution of, of voting rights. It's never possible to make it perfect, uh, but we think we, we got to a, a good point. And now it's like a, a chance to lock this in, at least for some time, uh, to really get people's voices involved in uh, things like the mission, the constitution of the DAO, uh, things like how should the DAO operate, uh, very essential things that you hopefully only, uh, like at, at least at this level, discuss once and then you just update it as the DAO matures, as, as things evolve. Uh, but if we had launched a token in a transferable way, uh, this voting right, this ownership structure would have immediately been very fluid. Like people can uh, give tokens to other people, 
potentially they can uh, buy them from other people. And this we didn't want to have from the begin with because it immediately diluted this initial, uh, we consider fair distribution. Um, and it's fair to, to say that at some point this might be needed in order for the, uh, the DAO to evolve, to grow, to get also other people's interest uh, involved as, and have them also have voting power. Uh, so you need uh, also the transferability for that. Uh, but it's maybe not to begin with. And we want to keep it up to the community to decide if this should happen, when it should happen, and uh, how it should happen. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the thought process behind that. As we're you know, kind of wrapping this up, I wonder if you would mind sharing with us like your thoughts of this ecosystem, just generally Web3, but also uh, safe place in it, safe DAO's place in it. And some of the things that you personally would love to see happening in the next couple of months or projecting maybe in the next couple of years in terms of the way that you know the ecosystem itself will evolve and then how safe DAO will facilitate some of that as well either the adoption or the evolution of it. Yeah. And I think we're very much at the, at the critical, critical point right now where regulators are looking at, at crypto and they are concerned and to some extent very rightfully so. There's uh, a lot of shady things going on. There's a lot of uh, scams, uh, hacks. Like regulators, we can... Blame them for uh, for whatever you want, but they they have also definitely some interest in in protecting consumers, and they see that people that like they, they use wallets and they they lose access to the private keys, and they they don't like seeing that. Uh, so that's and, and the risk that's in there is that the alternative to it to having people have full control over their assets is to go back to what we had. Uh, to custodians taking the responsibility. They have obviously more capital, more resources to protect private keys in the name of their users. And the danger there is that regulators really, through regulation or through other types of, of nudging, uh, bring the ecosystem more towards this custodial world, uh, which then really is is the same that we knew from, from Web2. And uh, they, they then, uh, yeah, the, then it's, questionable what we actually won uh, at the end. Uh, and I think one thing to resolve this is really to, uh, yeah, to, to solve these security problems and to maybe also have some, some more of a spectrum be- between you having full control and you having no control at all. And I think that's something that I would li- really like to see built in the future. Uh, we call this in- internally hybrid custody. So you might have some level of, of control. You have maybe some private keys that you control an account, but you might also uh, select any f- third party that, that you trust uh, and that can help you uh, secure this, this account, can maybe do uh, support you on like fraud prevention or make sure that you're uh, not making any, any mistakes and can, uh, can potentially also like freeze transactions, but in a way that you always have control over this uh, third-party support that you get. And then you have still the beauty of the control. So you can always say, I don't trust this bank anymore. They they censored my transaction. I want to cut them off or I want to change to this other bank. And you have these portable properties. But you can choose for what, uh, where you want to have external support, where you want to have maybe an insurance 
like looking over your transaction and saying, yeah, thumbs up, that's good. I'm, I'm ensuring this transaction. And if, if it's like a, a weird transaction, that would say you can go along with it, but we're not going to insure it. Like you have this, this kind of spectrum of, of, of like, uh, hybrid custody, uh, custody where you involve these, these other parties. And that's where we see, or that's at least where probably regulators would be more confident in, uh, where they say, uh, there's really opportunities for you to have control, but there's ways for you to not, uh, depend on this, this single private key. And I think there's also ways for, for the safe DAO to really, uh, advance this, but it's also, like it's not going to be a, a product that's going to be built by by SafeDAO itself. It's just that the underlying protocol, the Safe protocol, can be fundamental to this being achieved. Um, yeah, I really like that. I like the idea of kind of some of these tools that we've grown organically over the last couple of years, starting to become the tools that allow for regulation. Because to your point, regulation is not a bad thing. Um, but we just want to make sure that you know we are facilitating internally as much as we can to soften the potential blow to the ecosystem, right? Because you don't want to over-regulate it either. But I like this idea of like these tools that we've been built, building uh, organically over the last couple of years that allow for this to uh, make for a more seamless or easier transition in terms of the way that from the outside world, people see this ecosystem functioning and building out tools with that, right? So the safe protocol being a useful piece of that, um, you know, puzzle of the future. So one of the last questions that I normally ask all of my guests uh, is uh, really to try to get a good sense of um, how we can be better learners in this space is in your own personal crypto journey. Is there someone or something that has been hugely influential to you in the way that you think? That could be someone that has, you know, been a good mentor. That could be a book that you read. You know, just your call. It's a bit cliche, but I would really say uh, crypto Twitter uh, because it's it is really where the community is is meeting and where I'm at least sourcing all most of the the updates on a daily basis myself uh, and it's obviously challenging that you don't fall into some some filter bubble and you need to make sure that you're also following people you might not always agreeing with uh, but for me it's it's a super useful tool to just keep updated to to learn more uh, to get also the the culture uh, of of web3 and maybe the second part is uh, conferences and i think that's that's really where you, you make these meaningful relationships with with the ecosystem. Uh, that's, I mean, online events are great, but uh, post uh, pandemic, the the in person uh, conferences they def- definitely have a different, yeah, aspect to it. And uh, like everyone who hasn't been to should definitely go to either if they're technical to like a hackathon, ideally uh, if global hackathon, or to one of the various. Uh, conferences like DEFCON, EFCC, DAPCON. Uh, there's pretty much in every country that you live in, there's something going on. And I think that that's, that's a way that you experience the, yeah, the culture, but also in a way where you make the connections and you learn. Um, yeah. And that's a wrap. If you want to learn more, you can follow Lucas on Twitter at ShoreLucas. That's S-C-H-O-R-L-U-K-A-S and safe at safe. 
If you've gotten this far, thank you for listening to Crypto Sapiens. If you want to listen to more episodes like this one, you can check us out at CryptoSapiens.xyz. And please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time, stay brainy.